Okay, let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you to you. Your, your word is life. Your son, Jesus, is life. Your Holy Spirit is life to us. And thank you that you are alive and at work in your church today. And Holy Spirit, I just invoke and ask for your help now, Lord, as I speak, as I continue this series entitled Empowered. And I pray, Lord God, that yes, it might entertain, might engage all these other good things, but most of all, Lord, we pray that it would be effective. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week I had the privilege of preaching number three in this series, and I'm up again doing number four. Uh, and uh, just to give you the overview again, which one or two felt was helpful, in the autumn of last year we did a series on the blessing. And uh, Galatians 5.21, which encourages us to believe that the blessing which, were, which was bestowed upon Abraham, and you can read that, about that in the book of Genesis, is in fact something that has now been bestowed upon us. And we said how this blessing comes to us by faith in Christ and through Christ. And it also, we also said it's not to keep, it's not some little treasure that you put away in a box and look at occasionally. It's something actually to be given away. And the way the blessing works is it, is, it, is, it, it becomes all the more real in our everyday life as we seek to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. So that was, you know, in, in, in sort of the nub of it when we were teaching about the blessing. You can get that series on the podcasts. Then we felt, uh, the team felt that we needed to talk a little bit more about the application of that. And so we found ourselves preaching through a series called The Difference, which is about the holiness of God. And really just sort of, uh, just talking about how we position ourselves to maximize this blessing in our own life and in the lives of others. And we talked about how uh, uh, it, it's really, you know, if, if we talk about Christ-likeness, being like someone, that's perhaps a more easily understood contemporary explanation of what holiness might be. And then we felt, as we finished that series, that we should do this series, which is entitled Empowered. And that's really, okay, if we're called to be holy, indeed God says, be perfect for I am perfect, that's a pretty tall order. How are we ever going to achieve that? And we've been teaching and talking and preaching on how God himself provides the means with which to live the Christ-like life. Boy, that's a mouthful. So there we are, that's why we're doing this, uh, sort of a year's scope of teaching. And... Uh, and a key verse in this series has been Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. I think we've got that on the screen. Perhaps we could just throw that up. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, unchristlikeness, if you will, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know, we spoke in the series of the difference. We said how... There's a great disconnect that the world intuitively knows what the church should look like. The trouble is the church talks a good talk but doesn't walk a good walk. And that's why we, we have the, 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 the label hypocrite uh, banded about and, and how people, why people are suspicious of Christians in the church or one of the reasons I should say. But actually... 
What this is about, this series is about, is actually recognizing our weaknesses, but in availing ourselves and embracing everything that God has for us in order to live a Christ-like life in the present age. Now, last week, and again, I, excuse me, I can't do a, a big uh, recap here, but I talked about the absolute centrality of following Christ, the absolute centrality of making him your goal, of modeling yourself and seeking fellowship with him, not being satisfied with just the presence of God, which is delicious and wonderful, but actually pressing on through into fellowship with God. This week, I'm gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. It's in, this, is, this talk is entitled Empowered Living. Now, I have taught on the Holy Spirit over the years many, many, many times, both here and elsewhere. And normally, I would be teaching it in the context of training, equipping the people of God to move in what we call spiritual gifts. How do we learn how to pray for the sick or to speak words of power and, and prophecy into one another's lives? How do, we, uh, how, how do we become supernaturally or naturally supernatural, I should say? And that's, that's almost entirely the way I've taught about it. We have done one or two series on the Holy Spirit where we have... We have done a, a more rounded picture. But today, whilst nodding at the, the importance, the centrality of having this toolbox which God has provided for us in the Holy Spirit, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as the one who comes to us to empower us. You know, we've, it's like building a house. You've got, the, you've got the main services in, you've got the foundation in, you put up the walls. You know, they do the first fix, put all the plumbing and, and, and lighting in and all the rest. And finally, there comes that great day when everything is in order, when you flick the switch and it all kind of hopefully all functions and there's no leaks and pops and bangs. So over this long year, we've been painting a picture and I want you to hear now, whoever you are, wherever you are and whatever you are, it is God's plan for you to know his son Jesus intimately and personally and to know the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, let's just have a little look at 2 Timothy 1.7. This is one of my life verses, as some of you, I think, know. Is that right, 2 Timothy 1.7? Let's just throw that up on the screen, please. Oh, okay, fine. No, no, it's fine. I'd never asked you to in the first place. It's all right, Hannah. Give Hannah a little clap. She's... She's gone absolutely white. <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. Okay. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. Uh, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a, and a, and a spirit of self-discipline. Now, the spirit that God gives us is not fear. I often meet Christians who are, are very fearful people. How did that happen? Because God's spirit at work in us is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. It enables us, as Titus 2 says, to live this Christian life. So let's explore that. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he is God himself. He was active in creation, active in salvation. He's our advocate, counselor, comforter, friend, guide, teacher, mentor, our empower and equipper. <gasps> What, John, what Jesus says about him is that he confirms, he leads us into truth, primarily the, the truth about Jesus. You know, long before we may 
find ourselves recognizing Jesus as our Savior or owning Jesus or coming to Jesus asking to be our Savior. The Holy Spirit is at work. One of the great you know, premises of, of my ministry and Fliss's ministry and this church's ministry is that God is at work. He's not, he's not stuck on the A2 or on holiday in France. God is at work. And he's at work leading men and women back to himself through Christ. And there's one who is sent, and of course the end of Matthew's gospel says that we are sent. Jesus sends us all to make disciples. It is a tremendous encouragement and, and, and uh, comfort to know that, to know that God himself is ahead of us, before us and behind us, at work in his world. And the Holy Spirit it is, it begins to woo us, sometimes through dreams, sometimes through coincidences where you keep meeting people who are going to a particular church or whatever and they say come along come along and it, it's just random or seemingly so that's little evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you to him so anyway I want to give you four only of course the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin he is our comforter John chapter 14 verses uh, 15 and 16, Jesus says this. Um, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter or counselor, depending upon which version you're looking at, to help you and be with you forever. Be with you forever. The, the, the disciples were rather bereft at the idea, not surprisingly so, that Jesus was going to leave them. But he said, do not worry. He said, it is good that I go, Go back to the Father to reign and rule because I will send the comforter to you, the promise of the Father. These are all biblical titles about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And of course, many of you will know that we read in, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts 2, how the Holy Spirit came to the church in those early days and the Holy Spirit is at work in and through his church today. So four little things about in this empowerment thing in particular that I want to, to, to look at. Four distinctives. Uh, first of all, and I think this was the first thing when I, uh, for my, my own story was a little bit uh, confused. Uh, I, I made a commitment to Jesus Christ when I was about 12 or 13 uh, through a dear history master who blurted out the gospel one break and it just kind of zapped me. And uh, I, I, I went home and I said a prayer and I asked Jesus to forgive me and asked Jesus to come to my life. And things kicked off pretty well for a few weeks. And, and then because of the weaknesses of the church and my own lack of understanding, my own, my own stuff, I fell away and uh, you know, turned my back on all of that. But then with the birth of my, my eldest daughter, Noel, uh, I found myself seeking God ostensibly on her behalf. I was a new father, a newbie father, what did I think about politics? What did I think about religion? What did I think about all this sort of stuff? And in the process, God revealed himself and had mercy upon me. And at that time, I, got, I had an experience that much of the church refers to as, as baptism of the Holy Spirit or second blessing. It's not, it doesn't have to be a second thing. It was just a second thing for, for me. You can be... You can encounter the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Jesus. And in fact, most people would say they do. But for me, things got a little bit scrambled. And so I had this second blessing thing, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the first indicator, I received the gift of tongues. But the first thing that really, really, really made a difference 
was that I had a longing for God like I'd never had before. And the first distinctive, and I think one of the most precious distinctives that I still to this day value is that whereas I was rather bored by religion and needed and wanted to because of my awareness of my own stuff and God's sovereignty, I, I, in that place of fear, if you like, I needed to engage with God. Suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon me and suddenly I had a longing for God. Psalm 42 puts it rather beautifully, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I just couldn't get enough of him. It was extraordinary. I was just a businessman. I didn't know anything from anything. I'm not, that, not if you're a businessman, you don't know anything from anything. I'm just talking about myself. Um, boy, that was hard, right? <laughs> I, don't, I think I got away with it. What do you think? You think yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I was just a young guy. And suddenly I had this voracious appetite for God. I just read his Bible, read the word, and I went to church meetings all over the place. My dear wife at that point, you know, the Lord had not really awakened her. She saw this change in me and she found it quite, disar- dis- you know, quite concerning. But she knew me enough to know that something very profound, something very real, something very authentic had happened. And so this first indicator, um, one of these things that makes us want to walk in holiness, to decide to walk in holiness, is this, this longing for God. Now, I, I have to say that that is different now than it was then. It was a bit like a honeymoon period. But just like every good relationship, every good marriage, I mean, Felicity and I, as you know, have been married for 43 years, or is it 44 years? I, yeah, I don't know. How long is it? Seems like a long time. No, like, oh, right, 44 years. I'm not doing too well this morning, am I? <laughs> going to be a lot of backstage chats, I think. But uh, anyway, 44 years. Um, you know, I can remember being passionately in love with Felicity. Uh, and now I, I, I just love her deeply, not shallow. And, and I am grateful and thankful for this, this wonderful woman that God has given me. And, and uh, there's something about longevity in marriage and relationship which we really ought to celebrate because it, it, it doesn't stay the same. It gets better. It really does. And that's like my relationship with the Lord. Uh, it, it just gets better. I still find myself frequently on my knees, weeping before him because of some, some self-realization where I, I suddenly realize I've disappointed him or fallen short of his plans for me. And yet there's no condemnation there. There is this just this, I, I want, not because he's beating up on me, I want you know, my relationship to, with him to be the very best it could be. So the first thing and possibly most important thing, and if you forget everything else I'm going to say, uh, ask God for this. Lord, increase my appetite for Jesus. Deepen my longings for him. Lord God, work in me so I'm not just playing at religion. Work in me so it becomes real and authentic. And if you are real and authentic, even though you may not have the answer to any of the questions or many of the questions that people ask you out there, they are 
as they are intuitive about the hypocrisy in the church, they are also in, intuitive about authenticity. So even though you may not have the answer, they see in you something authentic, something that, that God himself is working, and it, it, they find it disconcerting and, and actually very compelling. They'll ask questions after questions. The second thing, moving rather more quickly now then, is that the Holy Spirit enables us to uh, help us to fix our eyes on the unseen. And uh, what, what that means is very often I have, have come up with this little phrase, you know, uh, an eternal perspective. God gives us an eternal perspective. You know, the best is yet to come. Uh, you know, things like um, that we're going to a far better place. And, and actually, I want to just read a little passage out of 2 Corinthians here which I rediscovered this week and it seemed to say what I wanted to or at least I felt I wanted to say in the Lord. So 2 Corinthians 4 verses 16. Have we got that on the screen or, or not? Don't, what? It's not working. Oh, okay, that, oh, fine. Thank you very much. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, 17 and 18 says this. Therefore we do not lose heart and Paul is talking to the church then about some confusion about the resurrection of Jesus and he's encouraging to believe that it has happened and that they're gonna be resurrected. And he says that we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, before the Holy Spirit came upon me and I began to engage with him and try and find out what his agenda was rather than asking him to fulfill my agenda, life was very uh, fixed upon the moment and the near future. Uh, now, that hasn't changed. I'm st I still have to take care of business, you know. We all have to, you know, pay our bills, you know, care for our kids and all the rest of it, all these everyday things. There's nothing different in that. But I have, by the grace of God, gained an eternal perspective. And the more that grows, as that is in, in the ascendancy in us, so we find ourselves chilling a bit more because it puts everything, everything, into perspective. You know, instead of going, whoa, this is terrible, whoa, we're all gonna die, or whatever it is. The washing machine just broke, you know. Instead of that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, let's work the problem. Uh, I think my wife would probably agree and say I'm a lot more chilled now than I used to be. Would you say that? She's nodding. Oh, great, we have agreement. <laughs> She's nodding. I'm a lot more chill than I used to be. And that's not just that I'm getting old and wise and affable. It's actually, the truth of the matter is that actually as, as God continues to enthrall me with the prospect of, of, eter <laughs> excuse me, of eternity, I find myself uh, loving what I see in this world and caring and about what happens in this world. This last three weeks has been absolutely traumatic, has it not? I mean, I, I reel from the news as I know you do. But at the same time, 
I truly believe there is a God who loves us and that it's going to end well. Call me an idiot, I don't care. I believe it will end well with Christ on his throne. So this eternal perspective is something that, that helps us deal with short-term challenges. And of course, and it, you know, when it comes to holiness, you know, am I gonna do this sin? Am I gonna repeat this sin? Or am I, you know, am I gonna fall back into this, these bad ways? Or, you know, do I long for fellowship with Jesus? And might that hinder my fellowship with Jesus? Am I gonna fall back into my, my ways and, and bad habits and all the rest of it? Or how does that compare with the prospect of eternity? These kind of things begin to impinge. For some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For others of you, it seems like, what? But this is part of what the Holy Spirit does in us. He prepares us for eternity. I used to wonder whether I might be bored in heaven. You know, just sort of singing all day long. You know, <laughs> you know if we sing a chorus more than six times here, begin to get, my, my attention starts to drift. But imagine an, an eternity of it, eh? I don't think it's going to be like that. You know, eye has not seen, nor mind conceived, the wonders that God has prepared for us, for those who love Christ. That excites me. Because I know that God our Father, as he stands there, as it were, like any good father will, with a twinkle in his eye and his hands behind his back, and he says to his kids, which hand? Don't you just love that? Which hand? Oh, 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 ah, uh, the right, no, the left, no, the right. You know that God the Father has some surprises for us, and they're good. They're so good. And I want that more than I want this. For a long time, I was quite happy with that. But I want that. Which hand? More than I want that. The third thing, then, the whispers of God, and I suppose in some ways this just does sort of uh, touch on the spiritual gifts uh, which we teach in 102. These are those little promptings where we begin to realize that God not only is at work in the world today, but he invites us to join in. Now, now when I first became a Christian, when I first sort of really threw myself into this thing, I was kind of looking out for the fire, the earthquake, and the great wind, as, as, as Elijah experienced in 1 Kings 19, 12. That's right, isn't it? Got that right. Thank you, Dan. You know, Elijah was on the mountainside. Many of you will know the story, and he'd been through a pretty tough time. He was pretty fed up and morose and despondent, and God called him up onto the mountain because he was going to have a word with him. First of all, there was this great wind, and Elijah kind of thought, well, this must be God, you know. And then there was the earthquake, and there was a fire. It may not be in that order. I can't remember. But at the end of it all, it was the whisper. It all went very quiet. And there was a whisper, and that was God. So as a newbie Christian, I was expecting, you know, the, eye, you know, the heavens to be rent open and, you know, zillions of angels singing instructions at me. But it didn't happen like that. But I learned to attune my ear to the whispers of God. Those little moments when you're in the supermarket queue and you have to pay for that lady's groceries and she weeps and says, how did you know? How did you know? This is 
all the money I have. How did you know? That's happened. These stories that you tell me, these stories that we're exploring ever more of God's work in the community, and they will just be those little nudges. And when, they, when I first began to hear what I thought might be the whispers of God, I used to play this game, uh, is it me? Is it me or is it God? Is it me or is it God? Is it me or is it God? And while I was dancing on the spot, the woman had walked out the shop and it was, oh, well, I'll never know now. <laughs> now I just do it. Better to, better to, to uh, you know, uh, obey a, a prompting of God to bless someone and find out that he hadn't done because then you still get the pat on the back and the Lord says, that's my boy. Rather than the, is it me or is it God? You know, let's just forget the is it me game. The whispers of God, these little promptings, these are so precious. These are the way, you know, Jesus said that he only did that which he saw the Father doing. That's why he could walk through the equivalent of a hospital and not turn to the left and right and he could go straight through to heal one particular person. On other occasions, he would heal everybody. He only did that which he felt or heard or saw the Father doing. And that's what he encourages us to do, to listen out for the whispers of God. Don't fight them. Don't resist them. Try not to worry about whether or not you're going to look an idiot or what if. Just, just do it. You know, that horrible old Nike thing. Just do it. And the more you do it, the more God entrusts you and the more confident you feel. You know, just speaking a word of encouragement or comfort to somebody, just speaking into someone's life, just taking the trouble to, uh, you know, to listen to someone and to offer to pray for them. And this is, these are all part of the way in which God empowers us to live a holy life, a Christ-like life, a life that manifests the blessing of God and the blessing that he intends us to be to others. One last point here then. Again, it's not really rocket science, this. Walk in the spirit. Galatians 5.25. Now next week, uh, I think Mark's up next week. He's going to talk about the fruits of the spirit, which of course we would have to talk about more, in more detail what the spirit's work in us looks like. But in Galatians 5, Paul encourages us not just to be waiting for those Holy Spirit moments, those whispers of God, but actually to live a life where we walk in the Spirit. It's a bit, it's related, I think, to living with an eternal perspective. It's, it's related to that sense in which we're longing for God. And as the psalmist says, when can I go and meet with my God? Well, of course, since Jesus died upon the cross for us, now we can do that at any time. You haven't got to be in church. Church is important because it's the community of God. It's the redemptive community. Uh, you know, I, I, I am saddened by those Christians who feel that they, they, can do church, they can do Christianity without church. Nowhere in the book does it say that. They'll say to me, you know, brashly, they'll say, I know my Bible. You know, I've got a good relationship with God. Thank you very much, Chris. I don't need church and all that hypocrisy. I'm afraid you do. Beg to differ. We're called to community. So we walk in the spirit. We're called to walk in the spirit. We're called to, to walk in that place of, 
you know, uh, asking ourselves and asking the Lord, you know, how am I to be in this situation? What do you want me to do? And if you feel insecure and if you feel uh, worried, pray that prayer. I've encouraged you to pray many, many, many times. A little prayer I pray. You know, Lord, let me be true to God, true to you, and true to myself. I don't want to come away from an interaction with, with a bunch of strange people, or strangers, I should say, not strange people, strangers, where I feel like I kind of pretended I wasn't a Christian. You know, one of the lads, you know, the odd swear word and perhaps drinking a bit more than I should have done, you know. I don't want to do that. I've done that. And I just felt, I felt slimed by it because it wasn't true to God and it wasn't true to who I've become. So I find this prayer particularly useful when I'm in contexts where there's no natural, um, you know, uh, deference to God. Lord, let me be true to you and true to myself. And I find that an empowering prayer because once again, you find yourself slipping into authenticity and people find that interesting and people find that engaging because they're all insecure. They're all trying to put a brave face on it, particularly the guys. They're all trying to man up when they feel like little boys inside. I don't play that game anymore, please God, because I'm, I'm walking in the spirit on a day-to-day basis where I am trying to be true to God and true to myself in every situation. So there you have it, four, four evidences, four things to aspire to, to pray about, to think about, to study. You know, the longing for God, an eternal perspective. What was the third thing? <laughs> Believe me, I know this. The third thing was um, fixing our eyes on the unseen, the whispers of God. The whispers of God. And, uh, and just being true to ourselves, walking in the Spirit. And as we do this, we will find those clamoring voices that point fingers at the church and speak about the lack of integrity, the disconnect between what we say we are and what we do. Those voices will subside. I actually believe, and I'm privileged to say it in this community, that we're beginning to see that happen here in this city, this region. The church is beginning to experience a new respect, sometimes begrudging, but a new respect. Not just because of what we say, but because of what we do. Amen? Amen. Why don't we all just stand? And uh, thank you. Let's have the band back up. Thank you, Henry. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you to you. You have not left us comfortless. You have not left us struggling on our own to fulfill what seems to be an impossible to-do list when it comes to walking by faith in Christ. You have sent us the counselor, the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in truth and to be changed from ourselves into that likeness of Christ which you have you have. Uh, held up before us. So thank you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you. And everyone said, Amen.